0: for me fascinating, Uh, there are so many frameworks out there and as you go through them, uh, you see a lot of themes, a lot of topics kind of coming into each and every framework under different guises, under different names, under different kind of overloaded terms, right? And today we will take a look at one of those frameworks which I think are maybe not as deep as some other frameworks, but it touches on six um, coach stances that are absolutely necessary, absolutely crucial for us to be effective and efficient coaches. All right, um, so I would uh, encourage everyone to participate. Uh, if you have questions, so as Shereen mentioned, we are going to use the group chat. If you, if you have questions for me, uh, either try to interrupt me, which might not work <laughs> Or uh, put your question in the chat and maybe prefixes, prefix it with a, three question marks so that I know that's a question, and maybe between the slides I would be able to easier attend to that. Yep. Sounds good. Everybody's in good mood.:
1: Sounds good. All righty. the box so.
0: All right, so um, let's get started. Uh, as I said, uh, let me share my screen. Let's hope I share the right one, because there right are.
1: Yep, it's right.
0: All right. Um, so, Selfless Coach. Uh, these basically this slide deck based on uh, her quite famous. Book and Pamela McLean, she is the executive director at Hudson Institute for Coaching in New York. Um, and uh, the book is Self as Coach, Self as Leader. And we'll just go uh, into quite deep into details uh, how she sees uh, six pillars that a good coach um, based their experience, based their skills, and practices. And before we go there, um, here's kind of my, my, our with Sheree pitch. Uh, so I'm Alex Kudinov, PST AKT. And my personal motto is helping you become a servant leader everyone loves working with. And um, Sheree, you all know Sheree, thanks for hosting us. And her motto is to lead. As And I found you with each encounter and I can absolutely attest to she's living to her motto. Um, so we paired up for, uh, to deliver for now two scrum.org classes in Dallas, Texas. So, uh, feel free to reach out to myself or to her for more details in our APSM class in January. All right, so let's move on. So let's talk about, uh, what Pam calls life stances home-based. Uh, she based this on the teachings or on the work of Karen Hornace. Uh, And that's a very, uh, very famous uh, in, in psychology book work called Life Endurance Stances. And she claims that every one of us, we obtain our, what she calls home base, home-based behavior stance in our childhood, right? And it's a prevalent kind of opinion in in psychoanalysis and psychology, right? And there are three of them. So uh, one is moving towards, right? So um, it's characterized by uh, a person being compliant, maybe helpless, maybe requiring approvals from his parents or his or her parents in the childhood and uh, managers, coaches, or coworkers uh, in adulthood, right? and that person is trying to please others to be liked, right? On the flip side, these people are very caring. They are very connected to the environment, to the ecology, to other people they are working, they are collaborating, they are connecting with, right? Kind of opposite base uh, is moving against, right? It's, it's not as... Um, not as attractive traits are. Some people are, can come across as hostile. They might be fighting against whatever they choose to fight against with, authority, environment, um, some actions and all that. Um, they are looking for protection, so security is really big with these people, and they take revenge. <laughs> uh, and they strive to be the best to be liked. Right, so you see how it compares to moving towards those pleased to be liked, and these people are best to be liked. The coaches with moving against base are very direct; they are very action focused, uh, and uh, some claim that this is a very good trait for executive coaching, for example. They can fall into traps of being overly assertive, kind of overly direct overly focused overly overly forward right they are seeking recognition and they fall into a trap of taking over client agenda and pushing the client into maybe the way they think is appropriate right and last but not least is moving away so the coaches who reside in this base they the upside for that is that they create more space they are really comfortable with stepping back, uh, stepping back to allow the clients to maintain the silence, to think about, to think through the questions, to think through situations, to reflect and deepen the potential breakthrough moments. And um, I don't know how about you, I had quite a few breakthrough moments in my coaching sessions. And when I was a coach, he or I was a coach, and those are powerful moments. On the downside of that base, the coach can create so much space, can withdraw so much from a client that they disconnect from a client completely, leaving the client maybe in the state of ambiguity and not knowing what exactly we are doing in this session. So, um, I would say my personal base uh, as I as I develop my coaching skills and I develop my coaching practice, it's it's, it's kind of a cross between moving against and moving away, uh, but more in the moving away territory um, where I definitely saw uh, myself withdrawing a little bit too much and leaving the client kind of a little bit in limbo. So these home base life stances, they feed really well into us seeing how we implement our coaching practice or implement our coaching conversations in the workplace so uh pam claims that there are four levels of implementation and it starts with peer coaching and self-coaching right so um it's kind of uh, i have a couple of clients who are very good at self-coaching I just need to sit there and they would go through and they would just talk themselves through the problem, solve the problem, and then thank me for being quiet. That's really an interesting experience. Um, then the classic one-on-one coaching is kinda of your classic ICF coach, your, uh, your classic um, maybe co-active coach, right? Where um, you are coached by internal or external coaches. Um, also, it includes team or group coaching. Right? And um, manager as a coach of direct reports, uh, this one is a little bit, um, you need to be a little bit careful because uh, there's the power dynamics. Uh, there's always kind of the, um, the dynamics, especially in red, in, in red organization where the direct reports might be looking up to the manager and his or her coach might not be as effective or perceived not as a coaching but as more, uh, with, 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 more uh, with, with lack of trust, was more of a caution towards the, towards the leader, towards the manager. Um, and uh, if we go up these levels of implementation, uh, definitely there's the coaching leadership style and coaching business and management culture that gets really high up in the, in the organization and in the uh, organizational hierarchy kind of how how, how you look at the the coaching world, how you look at your engagement with organizations, right? So with that said, uh, with quite um, an introduction, uh, let me introduce you the self as coach model. Um, And uh, you see it's copyrighted by the Hudson Institute of Santa Barbara. And uh, I think it's a fantastic model for us to remember, for us to follow and kind of keep in mind. Definitely there is no perfection in any model. You remember that every model is just a simplification of the real world, right? Uh, So um, the self as coach model consists of six pillars, and these are presence, empathy, feelings, boundaries, embodiment, and courage, right? In this picture, you might get a wrong impression that categories are uh, really strongly defined, well, very well defined, right? Uh, but in reality, there's a really strong interplay between them. There is absolutely strongest interplay between presence and empathy and feelings. Uh, the courage, uh, absolutely mandatory for the coach to be present and to be empathetic, there is a strong correlation between those. And of course, uh, you cannot be effective coach without uh, setting really good boundaries with your coaches. So, uh, are you taking questions, or should we be waiting for questions? Oh, sorry. Uh, I need to bring up the. I need to bring up the, chat box, which I'm not particularly sure where it is.
1: No questions in the chat box yet. But if you have a question, you can go ahead and.
0: Ask. Okay. Thank you. So is there a question? Or that was a question about a question? No, there was a question, but I'll type it in the chat box. Thank you. All right. All right. Let me move the chat box in here so that I can actually see that. All right. Um, so one thing we need to remember, looking at these six, uh, six categories, is that what Pam is saying that the most important tool in the coach's toolbox is the self. And uh, I will uh, read the um, read from Doug Silby, who said, "We do the work on ourself in order that we might be granted the privilege of working with our clients." Mm-hmm. Only through improving ourselves, only through continuous improvement reflection uh, and uh, working on uh, all our qualities, are we privilege to help the clients to improve their lives. Are these categories do we need to show empathy or compassionate um, i will uh, I will Uh, Sheld that question. Uh, I will address that when I'm talking about empathy. Uh, Thank you. And um, are these categories intermittently used? Um, So are these categories intermittently used or they are all used uh, going after one after another? Uh, These are are the skills, these are the pillars uh, on which yourself as a coach are based on right? So you attend to any and all of them at any time, right? So think about this. Uh, you take presence, you, you pre- you're, pre- you're present as a coach throughout the session. Throughout the session, you use empathy. Throughout the session, you recognize and attend to client's feelings. You set the boundaries and you uphold the boundaries throughout the session or throughout your engagement you embody yourself as a coach and you use, you might use techniques of embodying the feelings of embodying emotions of the clients, right? And you absolutely have to be courageous to challenge the client to address their problems, to improve themselves. So to answer your question, yes, you use them all the time, right? And it's important for us to be mindful of these categories to be effective coaches. Um, and empathy and compassion. Okay, let's move on. So let's start with the first pillar, which is presence. Uh, there is an absolutely fantastic book by Amy Cuddy uh, called Presence. And uh, I don't know if, 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 if you read that, you might remember Amy Cuddy. Uh, she came onto the scene in, I think, 2014 and she made a big splash with uh, with power postures uh, like the uh, the Wonder Woman, right? And she claimed that power postures help to improve um, the confidence, help to improve life, and all of that. Uh, since then, the the science behind her um, uh, behind her claims was a little bit questioned, right? But still, the book is absolutely fantastic in thinking of what presence is. And uh, you as a coach can get a lot from uh, from that book in terms of what does it mean for me to be present with my client as a coach. And I absolutely love this fantastic definition of her. Presence is resonance synchrony with self. It's the third entity, it's the ecology. Think about it for a moment you have to be in synchrony with your internal world, you have to be in synchrony with your client's world, and you have to be in synchrony with the ecology, with everything that's in the room. Um, so, and that might go into our further conversation about three levels of listening, right? But it has to also has to be a resonance synchron, uh, synchrony it resonates with you as the coach at every moment in time you are in session. And uh, another really interesting definition that I found is presence is confidence without arrogance. When we're talking about presence to ourself, uh, we're mostly talking about those inner rumbling. Uh, if you are the coach, uh, you would know, kinda you can relate to what I'm talking about. Uh, that inner voice that uh, usually kicks us off from our level three, level two perch and drops us back to level one listening, right? Um, it can be defined by judgments, biases, kinda old stories, uh, old beliefs, preoccupation with something. Uh, something is going on in the room. Uh, I have a cat that is demanding to um, kind of to, uh, let her in. Uh, so that's kind of breaks my presence right now, right? And inner chatter. I would say that out of these, judgment is the worst enemy of presence. And judgment can be of two sorts judgment of the client, right? And judgment of self. And of the client, when they come to a problem, right, you know that we hold the client creative, uh, resourceful, and whole, naturally creative, resourceful, and whole, right? And then we break this promise, and we start judging them, we start judging their behavior, we start judging their uh, their abilities, right? That uh, breaks the presence. And then uh, judging ourselves is basically, I'm not good enough. What am I doing here? I'm not able to to help this client. I'm just sitting there spending time. These all kind of activities, these all mental inner rumbling uh, can break our presence, can kick us back to level one listening, and uh, it's not helpful. All right, Um, let's move on. I don't see. Any questions that I need to attend to? So with presence to self, uh, we, we will be served well if we keep in mind that everything that we hear, everything that we see from our client, we filter through a level, a layer of biases, right? Biases are omnipresent and they are, they are very powerful. Uh, if you want to be um, to learn a lot about biases, I strongly recommend Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow. It's basically the bible uh, of biases and a really interesting read. Of it, um, but we'll go uh, with a different model here. So uh, Jay Galston, in his Just Listen, uh, he specifies these five biases that we filter all the information that we take in from our hearing, from our uh, visual, listening, uh, kinesthetic uh, sensory uh, perceptions. We push them through this layer of biases, which he calls GGNEE, by the first names of gender, generation, nationality, education, and emotion. And think about it, when you talk to somebody, right when you talk to somebody when you see somebody in a conversation face to face or on the phone just think to some conversations that you had of course we notice the gender right of course we notice well it's a it's it's a woman and i'm a man we're talking right or it's same gender people right uh generation well older younger uh we all probably heard the uh sometime inappropriate jokes about millennials, right? That's your biased filter, right? And the thing is, it, it, it's really sad that we are getting to a point where we dismiss the, the goodness that generation is bringing to the world by just saying, oh, those millennials, right? That's your biased filter uh, for the generation. And same thing happens with the old generation with, uh, with uh, baby boomers, right? Um, Right now in the workplace there's a huge problem when a new uh, generation of managers come in and uh, they have to manage old workers. There's a huge problem in the workplace, right? Again, that's the bias. Nationality and ethnicity, um, I don't even want to touch on that one. It's so prevalent, right? We need to be very conscientious of what we are doing, right? Um, Education, Uh, Education, the way I think about education is, and I was kind of self-reflecting on that one, is that, for example, my circle of communication, uh, people I talk to, people I communicate with, it's very homogeneous in its education. Everybody probably has college degrees or high school, everybody uh, kind of into this continuous mode of self-education, right? the blind spot that I probably have is, let's say, blue-collar workers—the uh, people with less than high school education, right—and I need to be mindful of this bias when I talk to these people. Again, holding them naturally creative, um, creative, uh, okay. resourceful, and whole, right, with without regard to their um, uh, to their background. And last but not least, are emotions. Uh, Emotions are really prevalent in our conversations, right? And some of us are better, some of us are worse with dealing with emotions, right? And uh, we need to be aware of those. Um, You you all know that coaching emotions and feelings are an intrinsic part of coaching, right? Uh, I hear all day long that, well, when, it's emotion, when emotions are involved, it's not coaching, it's therapy. No, emotions are part of the client, um, client experience, right? That we have to deal with. Um, and at the same time, when we talk about this thing and when we talk about uh, inner chatting and on top of that inner chatting, all these biases affect us, right? Uh, We are looking at that and we are asking ourselves questions like What should I ask next, right? Or what is the best solution? Um, Have I experienced something to that, right? So for example, have I experienced something that uh, this uh, person from a different generation is talking about or this person from a different country is talking about? How can I coach them without having similar experience? Am I doing the right thing Am I failing my client? So um, the point here is that the biases are really powerful forces that affect our presence. And the more conscientious you are of these biases and the more aware you are of your failings and which bias affects you most, the better a coach you are.
1: So Alex, um, this brings us to a great opening point for one of the questions in the chat. It's how can presence stance be developed more?
0: So I think that um, presence is a skill, right? Presence is a skill that based on self-awareness. So as, as you are developing awareness of yourself, of your biases, as you are developing awareness of your of your skills right of the trigger points that kind of send you down the shoot of uh, level one listening right by by developing your self-awareness by developing your um your attentiveness to the clients right so again level two level three listening and by developing what we call availability to the client right so get rid of uh, everything that is not pertinent to the session, focus on the client, focus on their, on what they say, what they look like, what they feel, what they bring to the table, Hold on, uh, focus on the whole person, on the person as a whole. Um, working on those underpinnings, you're working on your presence. And one thing that I wanted to mention is that uh, there was a, um, There was a survey of uh, executive officers in the United States of C-level executives. And the question was, what one of the traits or characteristic can you use more in your daily work? And the answer was awareness. These C-level executives value awareness, awareness of themselves, how they behave, how they come across, how they go through daily life as the most important trait for for them. Yeah. So I think presence uh, and awareness are tightly linked.
1: So there's two other questions here that I think fit in really well at this point. One is about emotional intelligence and how does, how does um, the coach's emotional intelligence play into this? Do they have to have emotional intelligence? And then the other is, is self-presence the same as self-actualization?
0: So um, I I would postpone emotional intelligence question till we talk about emotions. And I think uh, we will talk a little bit about that. I don't talk about EQ directly, but hopefully um, you will get some answers there.
1: Okay.
0: And um, self-actualization. So let's think together about that. Self-actualization is at the top of Maslow's Pyramid. Right, so it's basically, if, if you remember the pyramid at the, t- at the bottom you have what you need and everything above is what you actually want, right? So, of course the coaches want to be continuously self-actualizing, right? They continuously want to, to be better, to be better for the world to be better for the customers right Uh, for the clients Uh, i don't think there's one-to-one correlation between self-actualization and uh, presence presence is kind of your attribute as a coach what you use to be better self-actualization in my mind is more uh, is more a holistic uh, approach to your developing yourself in your life did that answer your question? Who was that? It was Banu. Banu?
1: Yeah, he said yes right. in the chat box. And then one last one here, and then we'll let you keep going. Is how yeah. can we reduce bias? Um yeah. any any suggestions or techniques?
0: So uh so Andrew, thanks for the question. Um it's kind of interesting. So I'm 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 really fascinated with uh with the topic of biases, right? And however many books I read on the topic or articles on blogs, there's a consensus that there is no way to conscientiously reduce your biases. They are they are part of us. They are part of our um, upbringing. All you can do is to be self-aware of your fa- failings, to be self-aware of these biases inside of you, right? And that self-awareness, hopefully at some point gives you a pause in a conversation, in interaction, in communication, uh, and asks you, what am I doing here? The way I'm responding to the person or the way I'm communicating with this person or this team, whatever your coaching environment is, do I bring some of my known biases, right? I think the first step is to learn the biases the second step is to learn which biases you are most prone to. And third step is to work on your awareness day in, day out, self-awareness.
1: So it sounds like it's more about managing bias. It,
0: it, it, it's management, yeah. It's yeah. management, it's discipline. But you read Daniel Kahneman, the first thing he says in his book, if you think you will read this book and you will absolutely get rid of these biases, stop reading right now you will not you will only be be able to there are two kind of things you will be able to identify them within your behavior uh, if you kind of self-manage well right and it will give you opportunities to see these biases see these behaviors in others and kind of when you are a third person to communication right All right, Um, so let me get these two real quickly and we'll need to move on. Um, Will you coach them after identifying? Um, I would probably bring that up, but it's not my job as the coach to force coach them on those biases, right? Uh, I can be a mirror to their behavior and say, hey, this is what I saw. And this is the framework I'm basing my observation on. What do you think? Do we need to spend any time on that? And it's up to the coachee, to the client, to figure out whether that's a problem or they don't want, or they want or don't want to work on that. And um, what is good managed bias or control bias? I'm not particularly sure what the what the difference is. I mean. Uh, I, 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 would, I would say more kind of managed bias, because you, like it depends on your level of awareness. Uh, control is more kind of stringent, and you don't allow it to get out of hands, and we're all failable. I know after some conversations, I'm looking at the conversation, I'm like, oh, that's my emotional bias came into, right? So sometimes it's just not possible to control it. All right? So um, let's move on. Uh, so presence to relationship. It also, in some, in some uh, sources, in some frameworks, it also referred to presence to the third entity. Um, there's a really interesting uh, quote from Irvin Yalom, uh, and he says that immediacy refers to the immediate event of the session, to what is happening here in this relation, in this in-betweenness the space between me and you and now so realize that if you are doing one-on-one coaching there are two people in the room right and what sometimes happen is that when client hires a coach they want to solve a problem and they want coach to solve the problem for them and that's a big misconception the thing about coaching right So what this pyramid shows you is that it's not the client who gives the coach the permission or or the power to fix the client. Remember the client is naturally creative, resourceful, and whole. We are not fixing our clients. We both, coach and client, give permission, give power to the relationship to everything that we're building, to, to the trust that we're building, to the room, to the ecology. We give our powers to that relationship, and from that relationship, the power flows back to the client, um, helping them to work through, to work through the problems they want to solve. Um, in order to create this relationship, uh, th- what, what Pam is saying is that we need to create a strong resonant chamber within our ecology, within our environment. As coaches, we will serve our client best as if if we are noticing the whole client. We're not noticing only their words or their emotions or kind of undertext or their physical appearance and all that, but we hope we notice them as whole including voice language message emotion body values etc etc and these these kind of uh we merge the unique coaches domain unique client domain and we co-create with our clients this third domain uh, when coach and coachee comes together and uh Peter Hawkins, who has absolutely fantastic book um, in his uh, leadership team, uh, leadership team coaching, uh, he refers to this structure as "we you," as speaking on what's going on between we, between the client and the coach. Uh, and uh, you, you heard me kind of alluding to that, but I want to stress stress uh, more that. As the coach, not only we're working with the whole client, but also with the whole ecology. We're using what's in the room, right? We are noticing everything about client and everything that surrounds the client. And uh, we'll close the presence discussion uh, uh, with uh, some thoughts about presence to ecology, right? And ecology is, it's it so ecology is kind of weird word here and i'm not a native speaker so uh, when i read ecology i was kind of well that's not what i was thinking but when we say ecology within coaching contact context it refers to much broader than it refers to much broader surroundings than just kind of physical presence physical location um might be like a restaurant or quiet room or Maybe you coach a client in the car in rush hour, which is probably not a good idea right um, ecology also uh includes uh corporate culture it might include um uh some corporate events that affect the client at the at this time. it might include um geopolitics. your client might show up to the session and might not be able to uh get rid of. Kind of the mundane um events of the day right and they probably might need to clean up their slate before you get into the coaching session uh, cultural differences are the bigger big, biggest players in the ecology which we as coaches should be aware of right um so um immediate surroundings, physical location, and maybe electronic devices, and broader ecosystem as the culture, geopolitics, specific industry, um, uh, cultural differences, and all that. All right? All right, let's move on. I don't see any questions. So, Let's move to the second part of this uh, fantastic framework uh, and it's empathy. Uh, And empathy is, uh, so this is monkey see, monkey do. Uh, There's a lot of um, work uh, in psychology. There's a lot of work uh, in biology uh, was done on monkeys and on mirror neurons. And this monkey see, monkey do actually refers to the um, to the effects when when one monkey was uh, given a banana or some other treats, and uh, the scientist monitors uh, monkeys' brains, other monkeys in the same cage, they actually experience same neurological effects as the monkey who was eating banana. So, uh, and through these multitude of experiments, they came to a notion that in our brains there are mirror neurons that actually mirrors the emotions and sometimes even physical, uh, physical state and physical uh, experiences of other monkeys and um, other people. So, uh, the other interesting example is that um, if your coworker gets a paper cut, you might cringe. You might look at it like, Ugh, right? That's your mirror neurons that are firing off, right? Um, so think about these things. Um, why is that we might often um, tear up when somebody is kind to us, when somebody is offers their help? Um, why, why is that that we might get warm and fuzzy feelings that when somebody understands us, really understands us at a deeper level, really listen to us. Um, Sometimes we are moved by a simple, simple warm and genuine are you okay question, right? Um, What we we know from the practice is that our coachees uh, sometimes or oftentimes come to our sessions with a big mirror neuron gap right and um empathy is important for the coaches as that's basically one of the pillars of our abilities but also uh it's important for the coaches to attend to their problems and to solve their problems so empathy is really, really big topic and really big, and going forward, we'll just focus on the empathy from the coach uh, coach perspective. So um, empathy continuum, uh, as Pam calls it, uh, it spans from too little or limited to too much, right? And, um, there's an interesting story. So um, there's an interesting book by Will Wise, "Ask powerful questions. And I think he explains this best through a story. Imagine you go with your friend uh, in the middle of winter uh, to a frozen lake, to a cabin in the woods, right? And you're looking forward to that trip and you're in the cabin and uh, you kind of get some tea, right? And your friend is so anxious to go to the uh, to the lake, uh, he just leaves you uh, in the cabin and goes to the lake. And you're sitting by the window, you see your friend on the lake, and you're kind of drinking your tea, and you see your friend uh, kind of falling into the water, right, and starts drowning. So uh, you have three options to respond, right? So on the limited side of empathy, you might choose to just sit, sit there, Keep drinking your tea, right? And thinking, how does your friend feel drowning in that cold water uh, as his kind of boots are getting filled with water and as he is losing his strength? That's apathy. So it's an adequate connection. It's cognitive only. You recognize, you recognize the feeling, but you don't recognize that on your deeper emotional level. You recognize that with your brain. Right. On the other side, imagine your different reaction. You see that the, your friend is started drowning, you drop everything and you rushing out of the door, you, you run into the, you run into the uh, lake and you fall into the water and you start drowning and you feel same cold and the water fills your boots and it drags you to the bottom and you're losing your strength and you kind of start getting weaker and weaker. You are feeling everything that your friend is feeling. Is that helpful? Are you able to help your friend when you are in the same kind of boat with him or in the same lake with him? That is sympathy. That's when coach is as a sponge absorbing client experience. It leads coach to basically rescue mode, right? Coach at that point, he or she crosses into client Client's story and becomes a rescuer rather than stepping back and helping the client to see the story. If we move to the center where we are connected, right, we are at our best as coaches, right? And at that point, if we go back to our uh, lake story, you might call 911. Before leaving the house, you might find a, a rope and pick up a blanket. You go to the shore of the lake and you throw the rope to your, um, to your friend. You pull him out of the lake and you envelope him in the blanket and you kind of uh, bring him back to the house. That's connected empathy. That's enough empathy to help your friend, to help your client, right? It's walking in client's shoes without wearing those shoes, right? and at that point if we practice connectedness as coaches we notice the feelings we notice the cues as those feelings arise we honor those feelings with the client right and we avoid over identifying with them we uh, also if you think about what nlp is saying uh, about over uh, identifying with the client uh, when we are when we are looking at our internal process and coaching uh, with that, uh, there are um, three ways uh, or three ways that we can fall into a trap. Uh, there's transference, there's cross-transference, and there's parallel process. So transference, uh, just kind of not to dwell on that, but give you a really quick idea. Transference is when the client, for example, transfers his feelings, beliefs, um, uh, habits from, let's say, a strong figure person in his childhood. For example, his father was a very strong person, strong-willed person, right? And uh, the client might transfer that, his reverence to his father or his obedience to his father into workplace, into, onto his managers, or maybe onto his coach, right? That's what we call transference. Counter-transference, is when this person on the other side, the manager or the coach sees this behavior, what might happen might happen that they were actually that kind of father and they have a child at their home who behaves in that way. So counter transference would kind of suggest to the coach or the manager or whoever else to behave in the same way. Uh, And parallel process is what a lot of coaches are prone to when we hear the story right we drop to our level one and we start attending to our own stories in the similar vein we start remembering our own feelings in the similar environments and um we start remembering our own doings and not doings and that's when we don't serve our clients well so uh, basically As I said, the connectedness when we are able to accurately imagine coaches experience and able to walk in their shoes uh, without wearing them, we are able to take client perspective without losing our balance and boundaries. All right, Um, don't see any questions.
1: No, no pending questions.
0: All right, let's move on. So um, we are to our third pillar, which is feelings. Um, And I want to start with, with a question and kind of maybe just raise your hand or kind of put one or zero if you heard that or if you said that in the last week or so. I personally often say, he made me feel like crap he made me feel really sad or really bad. Have you guys said that or heard that or experienced that? Heard? Yes, definitely, yes. Perfect, so raise hands. So I don't see anybody who didn't see or heard that, right? So here's the thing, the world and its actions, they are not capable of making us feel anything. They are not. The worlds, the world and those actions, they are just facts. The way we react to the worlds and to the reality is our own choosing. Think about it this way. If actual events that as uh, as they are happening could make us feel anything, right, or could bring up our emotions to the surface, right, probably everybody who would see or hear same occurrence, same event, they would experience same emotion, and that's not the fact. That's absolutely not the fact. So um, what's happening? There's a missing link between our perception of the world, of the physical world, and our emotions. Um, and uh, a re- 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 really, good, uh, really good zinger that I like uh, to use uh, by Elena, Ele- Elena Roosevelt, uh, she basically said, no one can hurt you without your consent. You give your consent to feel specific emotions, to experience specific emotions. So the missing part between see, hear, and emotions, are the stories that we are telling ourselves. And the stories—I like this word. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Crucial Conversation framework. Um, if you um, if you never heard, uh, please uh, read fantastic book. It it let me grow by leaps and bounds as a person um, within uh, my personal relationship and my work relationship. Uh, But that's actually the stories that we are telling ourselves as we are experiencing the real world. If you are into NLP, these what they call the deletions, generalizations, distortions and personalizations of the actual events as we take them, we process them, we respond to them or we create a mental picture, we respond to them, and we um, get some outcomes, right? So I want to quickly talk about the difference between emotions and feelings, uh, because um, I I, I think, well, I know that I didn't know the difference uh, till probably a couple months ago, and I found really interesting explanation um, that if if you guys know, you know, if not, maybe it would be useful for you. An emotional is a physiological experience that provides us with data of our world, right? And emotion has two components to that. It has motivational component and motivational component can be of three kinds. It can be approach, it can be avoid, and it can be attack. So every emotion has this motivational uh, component. And the second component is actually how the emotions are manifested themselves. And that's the conscious part of the emotions. And that's what we call feelings. So feelings is the conscious part of the emotion and feelings are affected by a range of circumstances. It can be affected by moods. It can be affected by our uh, sensory uh, perceptions like what we feel, what we touch, what we hear, what we see at a specific moment. And it can be affected by our physiological state, right? And a lot, of, um, a lot of misconception, a lot of misunderstanding when we are trying to work through emotions, when we're trying to work through uh, some problems come from that we are focusing a lot on feelings, and we are not attending to emotions. We are not attending to the motivational part of the emotions, right? And um, it's kind of funny that uh, your feelings might differ, right? As your emotion and motivational part uh, stay constant. And that's why we sometimes don't achieve the goals that we want to achieve. Right. Um, and as I said, look, there are many ways to look at this. There are many ways uh, many frameworks that attend to uh, the difference between the reality and perception, right? In NLP, the basic presupposition is that map is not territory. In coactive, we call these uh, perspectives, right? And uh, in balance, we go around a lot of perspectives and coach around them. Uh, coactive coach. Uh, um, I'm sorry. Uh, crucial conversations. Call these stories. So the key to get our emotions right and therefore the uh, response and outcomes is to master our stories. Is to look at all these perspectives, right? Is to look at uh, our maps that we have in our brain and ask our uh, the question. Are these the stories that actually represent the reality? Can I improve my map? What is the most resonant perspective that I can pick here to achieve the best result, right? Um, These are basic steps, again, from crucial conversations that you can go through um, that will allow you to get in sync with your stories and make sure that the other party in the conversation, in argument, in dialogue, understands where you're coming from. So uh, if there is a misunderstanding, and usually there is, usually we go through, here's our perception, here, here's what we mean, here's what we say, here's what our person hears, and here's what our, the other person to, uh, understands. And we know that what we mean and what they understand sometimes don't match, right? So. In order for them to be closer on the, minimalist, on, on the meaningful level, right? you can go through these five steps. You focus on the facts. You state your facts. Here's what I see. Here's what I hear. You tell your story. Here are the stories that I'm telling myself. Here's how I perceive these facts in my world. You ask for their path. What do you think? What do you see? How do you perceive these events? What do they tell you? What behaviors or what thoughts, what feelings these events bring in your? Talk tentatively. If you basically talk as a matter of fact, here are the facts and here how I feel it, and that's absolutely the right way to do that. You will not get any um, constructive feedback or constructive dialogue with your partner or with your counterpart in this conversation. And encourage testing. Look, uh, and I don't know how many people here are coming from agile environment, uh, but in agile we are all about testing. We are all in, about trying experiments, uh, inspection, and adaptation. Right. So, offer some small tests. How can we? How can we look at it differently? What other perspective we can explore? Uh, what What actions can we take to get closer on the same page? Or on, in, in the same book uh, about these facts. All right. No questions, let's keep moving. So um, as we work with our clients, as we kind of self-improve as coaches, uh, I think it's really useful to be aware of the range of feelings continuum and it ranges from little to no access to extensive, right? And what it basically says uh, that as coaches, as we are work with clients from the all walks of life, it really pays off to enhance and to enrich our own vocabulary, our own perception of ourselves. Again, I keep coming back to this self-awareness, right? and improving your range of feeling continuum is the integral part of improving yourself as a coach. And this is one of the most extensive uh, vocabulary of emotions that I could find. Um, And you can go to that link and download this vocabulary. Uh, I actually tested myself and I used 7% of these words. Like uh, I, I, I did not know about half of those words, but I I claim my ESL and all that, right? But still, that could tell you how poor my range of feeling continuum is. And I made conscious effort to improve that and literally just go here and um, read and uh, learn these words and learn uh, what they mean. And how my experience, how my feelings match to that, right? All right. So um, moving on. No questions about feelings, emotions. We're all good. Perfect. All right. So uh, let's move on to boundaries. Uh, Boundaries is also an interesting topic. Um, Remember that. As coaches, we are working with our clients in the system. If you are in an organization, that's whole organizational system, even if you are in one-on-one coaching, uh, you are in the relationship in that third entity to which we delegated our power to, right? Identifying the boundaries of the system is of paramount importance. Uh, Boundaries is one of the attributes Donella Meadows in her uh, thinking in systems identified as some some of the attributes that actually can make or break uh, our thinking, can make or break the outcomes as we are thinking through the system. Think about it this way. Uh, Everything is a system in the world, right? And uh, if I'm sitting here in my home office, right, it's kind of a system, and the temperature is quite comfortable, and my boundaries are the walls. If I expand to my whole house, well, there might be some areas in the house where it's a little bit too warm or a little bit too cold. If I expand the boundaries to kind of my street and all that, well, it was really cold this morning in Houston, right? And I can ex- expand it over and over, right? So that kind of gives you idea of what boundaries I'm talking about, right? So again, you absolutely gotta have the boundaries, but you need to be really acutely aware whether your boundaries are too small, and you are not taking enough information. These boundaries prevents you from taking the person as the whole, as the whole person, or they are too large and a lot of information that comes at you um, is basically um, just the noise, right? When you start thinking in systems, it actually turns your thinking 180 degrees. And systems thinking has three very important consequences. First of all, it basically says, almost nothing in the world has direct cause and effect. got used to think that, well, um, if I, I don't know, if I turn the stove, right, um, the, the cattle on the stove will get warm, right? So that's cause and effect. If you look at the stove as the cattle as the system, right, there's much more going on there and much, much uh, stronger reinforcing feedback loops that are going on between the stove and the cattle. Right. So everything are feedback loops, whether they are reinforcing or whether they are balancing. The system thinking remove what we call anthropocentricity from your thinking. Um, when you turn on the stove, you basically say, well, I turn on the stove and you are the central piece to that system, right? When you start, when, to that action, when you start looking at the system, you are just, an actor who applies a lever to a part of the system. And nothing else in the system depends on you. So the person is not a center of the system anymore, which leads us to the third and probably the most important outcome. And this is, we we use this in coaching all day long. The system is blameless. There is is no single entity to blame in the system. Everything is a loop. We can find a lot of leverage points to apply levers to and to move the system to one way or the other, but there is no blame blame to place in the system. So when client comes to you with blames, blaming others or blaming himself or herself or blaming acts of God or doing some of that kind, right? If you go back to your system thinking, you should realize that, well, there is no blame. There are only levers that we can apply. We can help the customer, the client to look at the system as a whole and see what they experience from the systems thinking perspective, right? Um, going back to the boundaries. Um, boundaries can be permeable, right? And um, we can... these these are not bad. The the, the only bad experience that you would have is whether you would not have boundaries, right? Uh, Then basically you're probably not doing good coaching. Uh, Premial boundaries, uh, if you manage them correctly, uh, you you can, right? Uh, But they are dangerous as with permeable boundaries we can quickly jump to others experience and or identify with the client remember that example with the with a lake right we can just go and drown with the lake in uh with our friend right and permeable boundaries they make it really really difficult to add value to um in the coaching work if we have a strong boundary right uh it will allow us to consciously um Notice when we have this pool to collude with the client, when we are not courageous enough to push back, right? Um, when we are able to resist. And uh, when we experience that urge to rescue our client, right? And we resist, that means that we have strong boundaries. Uh, when we want to add value to the client and to the work, and take on the work that belongs to the client, and we resist that are strong boundaries. Um, so the good example uh, of, of good boundaries, right? Uh, for example, uh, the client often, often cancels the appointment at the last minutes, right? And you are sitting, you're like, well, it's my time and he breaks the promise and all that, right? That would be permeable boundary, right? And next time when your client arrives, apologizing for late cancellation, you basically say, oh, uh, no worries. Uh, I understand things come up and um, you're still fuming on the inside. That's example of permeable boundary. If you had strong boundary, your response might be different. I appreciate the apology, but more importantly, I find myself wondering if this happens just with me, or if it's something we ought to take a look at that is happening in other places and maybe important to our work. Maybe happening with other people you work with. Um, So, we talked a little bit about the the, uh, ranges of boundaries, right? And they go from diffuse or permeable boundaries, where we fall into our rescue mode, right? We want to help uh, by taking the work that belongs to the client, right? Uh, Client hurts, client is full of emotions, and coach walking in the shoes of the client while wearing the shoes of the client. Client makes demand and coach is there to please, right? The agile boundaries, when the coach is responsive enough but not succumbing to the pool to rescue the client, right? Uh, is when in the middle of the story, the coach can step out of the story and observe the story, right, so remember that walking in client's shoes while not wearing them, right? The coach is noticing and asking about client's feelings and client's emotions, right? And that's one of the core ICF competencies that we as coaches, members of ICF have to uh, exhibit, right? And uh, coach notice a lot, coach notice client demands, right? And observes and puts a mirror in front of the client and asks him uh, what's going on. Rigid boundaries on the other side is when the cl- when the coach doesn't tap into client story, right? When we miss a lot of kind of underlying, when we're probably just listening to the words and not noticing the client as the whole person. Um, and as I'm talking about that, uh, it really, so you remember at, at the beginning, I said that all these six errors, they are permeable, right? They kind of, Uh, Really, uh, really connected. So, uh, if you remember the slide with the range of the empathy, right, from non-existent to strong, right, it's same with these boundaries, right. So, the rigid boundaries does not allow coach to be as effective. The diffuse boundaries will. It's not going to be coaching, right? It's going to be commiserating session. And the agile boundaries is where the real coaching begins, where the real breakthrough occurs. All right. Uh, so here are a couple, um, couple uh, lessons for from uh, systems thinking. Uh, first and foremost, the homeostasis rules. Um, If you heard that before, uh, that's good. If not, that's a kind of basic idea that the system resists the change. And we want stability. We tend to gravitate to a static state that we got used to, um, even if our habits do not serve us well in that environment. Um, The coach would serve the client well if the resistance to the change is appreciated, is noticed, and uh, kind of the mirror is uh, shown to the to the client. Right? Uh, there is no single root cause, no one to blame. Uh, we talked about that. Uh, everything is interconnected with everything else. Uh, my home office is a part of my. Uh, of my bigger uh, house. The bigger house is on the street, the street is in the city and so on and so forth, right? Um, The fourth one is interesting. Triangles are the basic building blocks. Um, I'm not going to um, go into much details. That's outside of our today's session. Uh, But basically the idea is that when the client is hurt, when the client is anxious uh, about his or her relationship with a second person or with a second entity. Um, He or she tends to unload this anxiety into a triangle, right? Uh, So how many times have you seen, um, let's say you don't have a good relationship with your manager, you had a conflict, uh, he berated you or something. And instead of dealing with that situation, you go and you complain to your team members. You gossip. You uh, you kind of complain to uh, to your friends that oh that manager is he, he's doing this, he's doing that. You are creating a triangle, right? And triangle are very destructive for your relationships, right? Triangle don't solve the problem. Triangle masks the problem. They um, they are uh, very um, destructive in the longer term, right? Um, The systems all have parents, right? And uh, starting noticing and starting learning the parents is actually what will make you a much better coach um, when you just learn how to notice the whole client, but across the sessions, across the relationship, when you start noticing the parents in the behavior, the parents in the, uh actions the parents in their emotions that what builds a really awesome coach Uh, failure is discovery in disguise Uh, i like this from uh, the um, presupposition from nlp that there are no failures just feedbacks right and we agile people all know that small interventions have big impact and most of what occurs in systems is not personal right we tend to take a lot of stuff personally oh um how many times oh um, my 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 boss didn't didn't say good morning this morning uh he might might be hat-hitting me right uh, again different perspectives kind of different uh different stories that we are telling ourselves that are not particularly true all right so um Environment. Uh, Environment. I will go through this real quick. Um, so that basically chimes back to the uh, to the presence, uh, really well, right? And basically losing your center to the inner chatting. Uh, we talked about inner chatting uh, um, a lot. Uh, so I will just skip this slide. The idea is here that. Um, if we are very well attuned to the body uh, to our body as the coach, we can better sense emotion in our body and we can uh, correspondingly better sense emotion in the ecology in uh, in our clients. Um, if you are interested to learn more about embodiment, uh, coactive model delve a little bit deeper into that, right and they talk uh, more about embodiment they talk about uh, that in the process. Um, Let's talk real quickly about courage. Uh, So psychological courage is the willingness and courage to face up to our inner fears and long held habitual ways of being. You remember I was talking about the uh, kind of parallel process, right, when you hear the story from a a client and you kind of start uh, regurgitating your own story and you're actually not not with the client and you're not fessing up that you are in your own story. Well, the courage, you're not courageous to bring it up. right? The psychological courage is most relevant to our work um, because to do the best work as the coaches, uh, we need the willingness to confront our own fears, right? And confronting that will bring our best to our clients. So uh, we need full presence. We need full presence to spot opportunities to exercise um, our courage, courageous abilities. Um, well-balanced empathy, uh, it allows us to express courageous comments um, and courageous comments in a way that actually invites clients, not pushes back clients, pushes away clients, but invites clients to consider it um, the courage allows us the access to, uh, to the range of feelings and allows the coach to meet the client where they are. If we're talking about boundaries, um, strong boundaries prevent a coach from being drawn into a client's story and uh, allow it to courageously observe and mirror it back, what, the, mirror their observation back. And centering ourselves, uh, having a great embodiment uh, and focusing on embodiment, it allows us to stay strong and stay attuned and provide steady support uh, about the proceedings, uh, provide steady support to our clients, right? And steady support when the stakes in the conversations are high. With that said, uh, here's kind of the, Total overview of the model that we went through, just to remind you that presence, uh, presence is all about being presence in the moment, with, being presence with a client, uh, what NLP probably calls immediacy. Uh, am I quieting my inner chatter, right? And am I losing uh, my assumptions and, loosening my assumptions and belief? Do I hold the truth as I see it loosely and offer it to the client? Uh, with no attachment to that. Uh, in empathy, am I deepening my capacity to connect? Um, Is basically the working alliance, right? And asking myself, just enough, too much, or we need more, right? Does my range of feelings allow me to travel with ease where my clients need to go? Do I have some feelings, some emotions that prevent me from following the client, that prevent me to, from working with a client? Am I noticing important patterns and themes that client is always uh, sometimes oblivious to, right? Uh, do I keep my boundaries strong? Am I invested in regular grounding and centering myself um, that talks to embodiment And last but not least, courage. Uh, Am I seeing and seizing the opportunities to turn up the heat and use my courage by sharing observations and uncovering the blind spots? And that's all I had for today. Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, My last slide, if you're interested, is the bibliography. Uh, kind of all the books that I pulled from or that I mentioned. Uh, If you're interested, I would really suggest some of these.
1: Well, awesome. Thank you, Alex. This was great. We saw a lot of some comments throughout, like, could we extend this for two hours? Not today. We can't extend it for two hours, but perhaps we can do some more. and so this was great. Um, if you want to stop sharing, yep. I'm going to share. And for people in the room, if it's okay, we're going to do a quick retro. And I would like to um, have you use the annotate tool, which is available. It should be at the t- um, in your little bar that. Um, Allows you to do your controls. It's either at the top or the bottom of your screen. And So I have a slide up here and if you would click on annotate you can choose um, a color in your format and If you would choose a color and make a little mark up here um, on this just anywhere on this slide will do um, green would represent the information presented today was great info just the kind of stuff we're looking for a yellow dot or a yellow mark of some kind would indicate oh this is okay it you know okay stuff I stayed and red would indicate yeah not for me not sure why I stayed through this So, if we could just get a little bit of feedback on the type of information we presented today, that would be awesome to understand so we can make sure that um, in the future we're presenting the right stuff. So, it looks like we got a couple of green marks there. If you're having trouble with annotate, let me know. And um, this is just a quick way for us to get some feedback and remain kind of anonymous. Okay. So a few green marks. Good deal. We'll give you about another 15 seconds or so. There's a green. All right. Great session from Tanya. Um, that was her comment in the box there. Okay, I want to go to one other thing. I wanna, I'm gonna clear notes. And then what about style, okay. presentation style. This was the type of style you like. Oops, that's my red mark, I was trying to move. Something.
0: Oh, you really?
1: <laughs> Sorry about that. I was trying to move something out the way. Um, and so style you like, uh, I'm still not able to move things without killing stuff Um, or yellow is okay or red no I just stuck it out it was tough I like the content but style was kind of rough on me ignore my two red marks there so that'll help us to know um, in the future how to present so I see some two thumbs up see some green marks so okay any others we've got some Mark's um, having trouble with annotation. She's green dot voting, green tools, green. So some greens in the comment boxes. That works well. And then last question, the the meetup time box. I'm going to clear again. Uh, One yellow on um, the um, presentation style. Sorry, my grandson's in the background. Um, And then the time box for the meetup. Just right, too short or too long. So we got a mix of things there.
0: If you do that the heart, it always red, <laughs> just, just be careful.
1: Carefully, <laughs> there's no Is green out? heart. <laughs> oh yeah, right. that's funny. That's funny, I didn't even notice that. I saw heart and assumed, yes, good idea. All right, so I'm going to go ahead, thank you for feedback on that. That's helpful for us to be able to get some things, make sure that in the future we're presenting things that you like and in the way you like them. And then I want to do our giveaway. Alex, do you want to take just a second and tell us a bit about the giveaway that you are sponsoring?
0: Um, sure. Um, so I'm 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 still in training. I'm still uh, working uh, with Sheree. Uh, she's helping me through my uh, PCC with ACF, and I'm starting my um, Coactive certification in January. Right. So. Um, the three sessions um for for your topics right and uh will absolutely love working with you
1: awesome so he's gonna do some coaching for you all and i'm gonna make you responsible for telling me if your name is not oh wait trying to type on the wrong piece a-y-o-m-i let me know if your name is not here on the wheel, and I will add it. I have two people who have phone numbers, so I didn't know if your name's here or if you were just on the phone. So um, 214 area code and 425 area code is your, are you also on video? You're on mute if you're trying to tell me that you are not one of these people. All right, so then we have entered into the raffle here. We've got Jessica, Manohar, uh, Amalia, Andrew, Kayomi, Aparna, Tanya, Jaram, Matt, Banu, and Sesha. So I'm gonna shuffle these up and-
0: You can take me out,
1: Okay. Where are you? Oh, there you are! I will pull you out. All right, we'll shuffle these up and click to spin.
0: Wow! All
1: right, So if y'all are not going to clap, then the the wheel will clap for you. So, Seisha, I will, um, if you can um, go into the chat and email Alex or Mark Alex directly and give him your contact information, then you and he can get together one-on-one and figure out how y'all are going to do your three coaching sessions. And um, thanks a lot everybody for joining. I did record this um, and as soon as I can I'll get it out on our YouTube channel and I'll post a note in the meetup. So thanks for participating and um, see you in a couple of weeks where I believe in a couple of weeks is going to be Lucia Baldelli and Christine Thompson who are going to be doing um, a coaching technique called immunity mapping. And so look forward to seeing you and invite a friend. Thank you. Have a great weekend.
0: Thank you. Thanks
1: everyone. Bye Bye guys. Thanks guys.